Like millions in Turkey, President Recep Tayyip Erdogan is something of a football fan. Before he became the country's president, or even its prime minister, he was a semi-professional player. He publicly backs a small Istanbul team, which won the country's Super League in 2020. And he was the best man at the wedding of Mesut Ozil, a professional German national football player of Turkish heritage. Mr Erdogan's love of the game and his close ties to certain clubs and the national team is rankling some fans who say that the president is politicising a once national unifier. As the country competes in the 2020 UEFA European Championships, some are even saying that the president has made them switch off completely. This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm James Haynes-Young. And this week, we're asking... Is the Turkish president meddling in football? If you want to get all the latest episodes of Beyond the Headlines as soon as they're released, hit subscribe in your podcast app. Turkish fans are renowned for being passionate and patriotic in the world of football. Dahan Irak is a lecturer in the University of Huddersfield and a former sports journalist who wrote Football Fandom, Protest and Democracy. He explains just how deep the passions run for football in Turkey. I think it's more important than most of the things because in Turkey, everyone is more or less invested in football. So uh, it's a little bit like Brazil and maybe Egypt. Uh, When you say football supporters... It's not about organized fan groups or uh, that sort of uh, organized uh, activity, but everyone is, almost everyone, of course, uh, is more or less emotionally invested in football. So it's very important. Sometimes it can transcend political lines, religious lines. And, you know, Turkey is a complicated country with lots of social fault lines. Uh, So football exists uh, crossing these lines, but also in contact with those fault lines. So uh, it can be, for example, politicized very quickly. With the nation's young team, many of whom play in Europe's top clubs, showing good prospects going into the Euros, it should be a time of national excitement. But... Some say that the president is using the squad as another means of drumming up support and quashing his opponents. Let's look at why. Mr Erdogan swept to power as prime minister in 2003 on a populist wave, promising to turn around the country's stagnant economy and transform the country. The religiously and socially conservative leader of the Justice and Development Party, or AKP, did just that. Although there were ups and downs, Turkey grew at a rapid rate, hitting 9% annual GDP growth in 2004 and over 11% in 2011. This shored up his support, but the president always had his critics. 18 years later, and things are less rosy for the country's leader. Economic growth has slowed dramatically, the Turkish lira languishes at historic lows, inflation has risen, and the handling of the COVID-19 pandemic has led many people and businesses to suffer. 
and Mr. Erdogan is accused of authoritarianism and of corruption from former allies turned opponents and, more recently, by a convicted mafia boss, Sedat Pekka. Once a supporter of the president, he now spends his time in exile making YouTube videos criticising the government that is racking up millions of hits online. So what has any of this got to do with football? Well, some say that President Erdogan's government has hijacked the game in an attempt to push its conservative agenda and silence opposition from the stands. Andrew Wilkes in Istanbul has reported for The National on this story. I don't think we're going to see, um, you know, football fans entirely abandoning their country. And obviously, if the team do very well, then um, there'll be more support for them. But I've spoken to a number of um Foot in, in quotes, proper football fans, uh, uh, people who have been season ticket holders at, at football clubs for uh, most of their lives and have, have followed, uh, followed uh, Turkish football closely for decades. And uh, many of them have been, have been turned away from the national team because of this, um, because of this political involvement um, in, in the game. And... Uh, other reasons as well, um, several sort of um, corruption and mass fixing allegations in, in the last sort of decade have, have tainted their view of the game in general. But um, I, think it's, uh, I think it's the government's attempt to, uh, to co-opt um, football and in particular the, the national team that has um, turned them away from it. Mr Erdogan is not the only uh, politician to... Um, to try and uh, jump on the coattails of uh, popular sports, I think he—it's uh, a—it's a way of um, generating support for him in in, in one way. He obviously um, wants to appear to be uh, popular, and has also uh, has a sort of narrative that um, he's identifying his political party and his political outlook with the idea of the Turkish nation. So co-opting the football team um, very much uh, aligns with that. This is Orjan Yeet, a supporter of Gençer Bili and a founding member of Tarif Der, the supporters' rights solidarity union in Ankara. He remembers cheering for the national team in the 2002 World Cup and in the 2008 Euros. But now he says he doesn't even watch the games. The national games became a much bigger part of the propaganda of the uh, state, I can say. Uh, in the recent years. So I think the national team has sort of less support from the people. Either people are ignoring it because they know what to expect uh, during a Turkish national team home game, which are uh, moved away from Istanbul and Ankara, the capital. The attendance is controlled by by the state, of course, and uh, I mean, after the Gezi protests happened, uh, the, the next year there was the protests continued in the football stands, so the, the, the government took action against it. Orjan is talking about the protests that took place in Istanbul's Gezi Park in 2013. Dahan tells us about how the football fans were involved. The Gezi protests uh, started as an environmental protest against a shopping mall project in downtown Istanbul uh, imposed by the government and the uh, municipality of Istanbul. And then 
uh, with the uh, police violence and Erdogan's uh, stern uh, attitude uh, towards the protests, it has uh, it it became mainly uh, a call for democracy in Turkey, and things escalated, and over five million people joined the protests in one month. And it was the biggest uh, wave of protests in recent Turkish history. Uh, the football supporters had a major role in popularizing these protests because uh, in Turkey, people are hesitant to express themselves politically. Uh, so if it was a political party or a trade union, who called for protesting Erdogan, they wouldn't go. But when it was the fan groups, they went. The Istanbul fan groups came from what are referred to as the big three in Turkish football, Besiktas, Fenerbahce and Galatasaray. Three large clubs with three massive fan bases and a local rivalry that often erupts into aggression and even rioting. But unexpectedly, the Gezi protests brought the three fierce rivals together against the government. The Ultras, the name given to the most fanatical supporters, rallied around the demonstrators and walked together against the Erdogan government. The government's response was to set up a football supporters' ID card system. Dahan tells us why they did this. So uh, the football supporters, uh, the fan groups, were actually a huge catalyst in uh, the popularity of these protests. So in and they continued their protests after the movement in the stadiums because stadiums are public places and there's TV uh, broadcast. So they they chanted against Erdogan, they shouted slogans, etc. So um, uh, the Erdogan regime uh, came up with a plan, a supporters card, which is actually a close adaptation of uh, Margaret Thatcher's plan in 1984. It's basically the same deal. It's a scheme that does not respect the fans' privacy and treat them as potential troublemakers and also use their personal and private information uh, for undisclosed purposes, which may or may not involve financial purposes uh, because it's a huge database. This database was rejected by many football fans who didn't want their details shared with the government. Fans like Orjan. The government issued this supporter identity card and a uh, few people among I mean, which I am, we just refused to buy that card and so we stopped attending games. Dahan thinks that Mr. Erdogan, a former semi-professional footballer himself, may have taken the reaction of the football fans personally. One of the reasons why Tayyip Erdogan is so into controlling the football environment is because the Istanbul supporters are against him and he cannot just let it go. I mean, uh, since the uh, 2013 protests, 
he still mentions those protests in his speeches. He cannot really let it go. And now uh, one of the uh, supporters groups who joined the protest, they will be uh, put on trial once again after being uh, acquitted. So uh, it's a personal vendetta for him. And if you know the Erdogan regime, you will know that personal vendettas are more important than you think. In a 2017 TV interview, Mr Erdogan hinted at his feelings about the opposition he faced from some supporters. Football is a great way to unite people, he said. It's about fair play. Unfortunately, however, we haven't been able to establish that fact in our country. I would like to ask Turkish football clubs and fans to respect the fair play rules. But his influence is not just at home. In 2019, he was the best man at former German attacking midfielder Merzat Ozil's wedding in Istanbul. And that happened to fall just days before a rerun of the city's mayoral election that the AKP had just lost. He obviously wanted to um, share his blessing on um, Mesut Ozil's wedding, whether he saw some uh, sort of political advantage in um, in uh, being close to a, a very much uh, revered footballer in Turkey um, is open for uh, debate. Ozil is of Turkish background, and it came just a year after he and teammate Ilkay Gundogan were embroiled in a controversy regarding the president. Ahead of the Turkish elections in 2018, the then Arsenal player and Manchester City's Gundogan posed for photographs with the Turkish president. Here's Andrew to explain what happened. Mr Erdogan uh, posed for photographs with two or three um, Turkish German uh, footballers, so German-born Turks um, who actually played their uh, football for the German national team caused a great scandal in Germany because uh, obviously it led to uh, to uh, people questioning their their loyalty to the uh, to the nation they play football for and it in fact led to Mesut Ozil um, resigning um, or quitting the national German team uh, complaining that um, uh, that people supported him and, and declared him a German when he was uh, when he was playing well and scoring goals, but uh, viewed him as a Turk if he was doing something they disapproved of. The images led to questions about the player's commitment to Germany, given that the Turkish president has a fractious relationship with the EU and a poor human rights record. Ozil later quit the German team, citing prejudice against his Turkish background, and now plays in the Turkish league. But it's in Turkey and its national team the government's reach into football has been most marked. A 2017 constitutional referendum that saw Mr Erdogan change Turkey's political system to concentrate power into his own hands featured leading players supporting the change in a social media campaign. The then national captain, Arde Turan, and Burak Yilmaz, who skippers the current squad, pledged to vote for a strong Turkey. Mr Erdogan won the yes-no poll with just over 51% of the vote, in ballots marred by irregularities. And it's not the only time that footballers have backed Mr Erdogan. Three years earlier, during his campaign to be the 12th president of Turkey, the then 60-year-old leader scored a hat-trick in an exhibition match to open the Istanbul side, Bashak Shahir's 17,000-seat stadium. Afterwards, the team retired the number 12 shirt that he wore in his honour. 
and Bashak Shahir itself has drawn criticism. Founded in the 90s, it has fast risen up the Turkish leagues and draws in top talent whilst building the best facilities. But it draws few supporters. Just an average of 3,000 fans attended games in the 2019 season. Detractors say that the club has close ties with the AKP. The chairman, for example, is married to Mrs Erdogan's niece. Gets it lucrative sponsorship deals and prominent backers. Then there's the Turkish Football Federation, led by businessmen with close government ties. It has decided in recent years to play games far away from Istanbul grounds. Andrew tells us why these games were getting shifted. Football stadia, in particular the uh, the grounds of the, uh, the the three main Istanbul clubs, uh, Besiktas, Fenerbahce, and Galatasaray, have uh, been cauldrons of opposition for to towards the uh, towards the government. Um, we saw that very much in 2019 during uh, local elections, where uh, the opposition candidates uh, visited those grounds and was. Uh, Partly welcomed by uh, chanting fans, and but there have been, uh, on the other hand, outbreaks of uh, vocal opposition to uh, to Mr. Erdogan and such grounds. So we see things like um, the national team games being played outside of uh, Istanbul in um, cities that might be uh, viewed as more uh, supportive of um, the government, such as Konya. Many fans were also upset at the decision to change the national team's away kit in 2016 going from white and red, the colours of the Turkish flag, to turquoise, a hue favoured by Mr Erdogan for being pan-Turkic. It's a colour he's adopted, for example, replacing um, red carpets at official functions with these turquoise carpets and the the tunics of the presidential guard are now turquoise. Um, So that caused caused a bit of upset, but as I say, they've they've now reverted to the the traditional white and red away kits. Dahan also tells us a bit more about these ties between the Turkish Football Federation and the government. The national team is connected to the Turkish Football Federation and the Turkish Football Federation is fully controlled by the Erdogan government, the Erdogan regime. So uh, when you take a look at the last two uh, chairmen of the Turkish Football Federation, these are two businessmen who have the closest contacts with Erdogan and made billions of dollars out of government tender bids. So it's completely under the Erdogan regime's control. Um, But uh, to what extent this would create a political impact, it's it's not as direct as one would think because uh, football is a football is socially very complicated in Turkey, even though Erdogan can easily control the federation and the club boards, especially the fan base in Istanbul who go to the stadiums and attend the matches are anti-government mostly and they are secular and they 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 joined the protests against Erdogan in 2013. So uh, football is an area that he wants to control, but there is a, an important and popular portion of football that he can't really uh, get hold of. 
the ultimate test of whether this alignment between Mr. Erdogan and football is a successful strategy won't present itself at the Euros, but ultimately at the elections due in 2023. Mr. Erdogan's support is in decline. The AKP is now polling at just 36%, down from 45 at the last election. But could a stunning performance at the World Cup in 2022 help his party? I think the political view of a person became very much like uh, a team that the person supports. I believe that the support for the ruling party AKP has been like uh, a fan base. Like, you know, the, uh, the party is successful. It's always winning. So it gathered like this hardcore support. But uh, as with any football team, like if it's like a very popular football team, like, you know, if it's winning all the time, then the new kids uh, start supporting that team. So it happened that the support for AKP for, on my behalf uh, grew like that. And uh, if it's, uh, as you say, uh, decreasing, the approval rate is just decreasing right now, it's probably because of the economics. You've been listening to Beyond the Headlines. I've been your host, James Haynes-Young. Thanks this week to Dahan Irak and Orjan Yeet. This week's episode was co-scripted by Andrew Wilkes and produced by Andrew Wilkes, Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan. If you want to get all the latest episodes of Beyond the Headlines as soon as they're released, hit subscribe in your podcast app.